0: Well, good morning. good morning. So good to have you here. That was some great worship, wasn't it? Man, that was awesome. Today is a really special day. If this is your first time at the way, let me welcome you. We hope you feel right at home with our church family today. But today is going to be a little bit different. Uh, today you will not hear me preach because we have uh, our intern now becoming on a staff member. Uh, Rich Kendall is going to come and bring a message for us today. And as part of this service today, we're also going to ordain him, and then we're going to have communion afterward, and then a family lunch, and so everyone has to stay. We're going to shut the doors. You can't leave. We're all going to have a lasagna lunch. It's going to be a great time to celebrate with Rich and his family and all that God has called him to. So guys, if you would, give it up again for Rich Kendall for us today. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Man, this is overwhelming in the best way possible. Um, as Davey just told you, I had opportunity to come in and be a pastoral intern here at The Way back in August, and these past six months have been a joy and a complete testament to what God has established in the local church to be in the life of a believer. Um, Just the overwhelming love, I mean, in John, Jesus says, they will know that you are my disciples by your love, and when I, first day I stepped in here, and this church, even outside and, and communities, um, interacting with you guys, man, it's a family, and that's one of our core values, and that's and that's how Jesus designed it. And so, thank you. Um, before I jump into Second Peter, as we continue our series in bold, I like to just—I <laughs> I walked in, and it was—it was the reason why I said overwhelming in the best way—is because the amount of people, the amount of support that I got. Um, not because of, oh man, this is rich, this is, this is who he's made to be and he's going to perform amazingly, but it's, I got that support because you guys see God's faithfulness in my life. And this is where God's calling me and this is, for right now, this is where I am just overjoyed to step into, um, specifically into the local church and come alongside what you guys are already doing. And so I'm <laughs> excited for that. Uh Sierra, I don't know if you saw back there, but there is a incredible uh, setup, almost like a wedding feast, so I don't know if we need to move up our day and maybe get Davey up here and we'll get married today, I don't know, we'll see, but let me pray and we'll get started. Jesus, thank you so much for just who you are and your faithfulness to um, not only me, but to um, your church, and thank you for just Scripture and what it means to us in the life, um, in the life of a believer, and just the the guidance that you give as we work our way through it and um, sit under it. So I, I ask this morning, as we come under Second um, Peter, that you would just give us listening ears and a heart um, that just strives to know you more and to believe more in your in your word that you've given to Peter. Thank you so much. We love you, and you know, I pray, Amen. So during my, my time at Liberty University, so for those of you who didn't know, I went to Liberty. I studied uh, church leadership and leadership development um, alongside the official name. Um, I was actually contemplating to tell you guys, but I will because I'll probably get a chuckle. It was called Camp and Outdoor Adventure Leadership. Um, yeah, there you go. <laughs> so essentially, it was God's... Um, kind of way of shaping my life when I, was, when I was overseas in Kenya and kind of getting introduced to um, discipleship, but more in, a, in an adventure experiential way, not necessarily in the church. God uses the church, but he also uses outside the church, life outside, doing crazy awesome things like spelunking, going water rafting, and God kind of made it obvious that regardless if I was going to be in the local church or not, that he wanted me to focus on discipleship and, and working and, and striving with each other to, to grow in a relationship with Jesus. And I loved coming here and hearing what the church's mission was because the way Bible Church exists is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, to strive to make his name known and to fully believe in, the, in his words and to know them. And so I'm excited. Um, so even though my, my degree was and something that wasn't necessarily all church leadership, theology, seminary, but it was something that was God was using to, to propel me into this position, and it's not something I'm taking lightly. And so, um, know that there was a lot of prayer and God was making it obvious that this is where he wanted me. Um, and so, with that said, at Liberty, man, the relationships I made, I mean, some of them are here today, some of, some of my best friends, closest friends, and one of them actually is my fiance. I won't make her stand up and embarrass her, but during my time at Liberty, I made some incredible relationships, not only through the classroom, and yes, the study material was awesome, but more so was my experience outside of the classroom. And I wanna, I wanna talk about someone specifically that I, that I met while at Liberty. It was my freshman year, and his name was Nat Truong. Uh, we, we had met my freshman year casually on the hall, and through broken English, he told me he was from Vietnam. And that kind of triggered my interest a lot because of my experience living overseas. I have this, I don't know, a passion for hearing their stories and because I have a similar experience with living overseas and whatnot. And so I got to know Nat. Man, for those that are here, they can attest to the love and spunk of life that he had. Um, but at the same time, as you begin to talk with him and and him tell his story, he doesn't share the same faith as we do. Faith to him is weak. Faith in Jesus and creation, who this God that we lovingly serve, it's a crutch. And through my conversations with him, it made me realize how lost this world is and how much we need to Know without a doubt who Jesus is in our lives. Because the audience that Peter is addressing is an audience that is facing persecution. It's facing doubt from the surrounding world. And so my question for us this morning is, what what is our response when we face doubt, whether it's from within our own selves or whether it's from someone that we're interacting with? What do we look to when we wrestle with scripture and make sense of what it claims to be true? Trust me, I know without a doubt, because through my interactions with Nat, there was times when I didn't know the answer. I didn't understand why God did this or why God, God did that. And that's okay. That's what I kind of came to the end, end of myself and be like, okay, I don't have to know everything. But there is something, and I'll be completely stark with you. There is something you have to know without a shadow of a doubt about your faith and it's in, the, it's in the life and person of Jesus Christ. It's what our whole faith is contingent on, this one man. Christianity is dependent on the person of Jesus Christ being who he really said he was. Fully man, yet fully God. And I don't know where you guys fall with absolute versus relative truth, but if you're a believer, it is evident in scripture that it's not relative, it's absolute. And the reason why I say that, I want to quote Jesus when he was talking to his disciples and he was comforting them because they were worried. He's, he's, he's leaving to go back. He's about to die and go into heaven and he's warning them and they're, they're worried and they're like, man, Jesus, where, where are you going? Like, how do we know the way? And what was his response? I'm the way. The truth. The life. And this is something we have to wrap our heads around and that's the, that's the truth that we have to believe without a shadow of a doubt because if, if this is something that's um, in the way of our belief or we're or doubting it, then our whole faith crumbles and, who, and because if Jesus who wasn't who he says he was we can all essentially we can get up now and get out we don't need to be here and so Peter addresses this because thankfully we, we aren't without this, we aren't without help. Um, one of Nat's uh, descriptions of faith was that it's blind. The three things, but it's weak, it's blind, and it's a crutch. But Peter addresses this, so let's get into it. In verse 16, he says, for we do not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received glory, He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven and we are with him on the sacred mountain. Guys, this isn't a fairy tale. This isn't just some character in a storybook or cool dude that lived long ago. This is the man, this is the reason why Peter is focusing on exclaiming this truth to us. Because essentially, the reason why this is is profound is because our faith in Christ is not based on myth, but on an eyewitness experience of his majesty. The difference between mythical speculation and Christian faith is historical observation. It's based on fact, Our doctrines, our Jesus, is not the result of someone cleverly making this up. Our faith is the result of historical observation. And this is why, I don't know if you guys recognize this, for for those of you that weren't here last week, there was this emphasis that Peter made on knowing who Christ is. And I don't think there's, and there's no mistake why he made this emphasis on it. In verse two, he says, grace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. Verse three. His divine power has been given to us through what? Through our knowledge of him. Verse five, make every effort to add to your virtue knowledge. Verse eight, if you have these things in you, these qualities that Peter lists, you will not be unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So essentially, these qualities that we're striving after, this godliness, is in the wake of two things. First, knowing who God is and believing in who God is. Our faith doesn't flourish in ignorance, hearsay, or conjecture. Cults flourish in those things. But our faith is not grounded, but our faith is grounded in reliable observations of of reality. It isn't a cleverly devised myth and and unworthy of acceptance. If that was the case, again, we should just get up and walk on out. But do you know why these men never changed their story? Because it's one thing that if Peter said, oh, I'm an eyewitness of this majesty and he was the only one. Then you can begin to, okay, we need to, there's some doubt in that, there's this one guy that's telling the story of this God. But no, we have multiple accounts. Peter is just one man that beheld the glory and the majesty of who Jesus was. So because of that, we have to stop and pay attention to these words. So again, why did these men, specifically Peter, but why did all these people who encountered Christ, why did their story never change? Even through the darkest of times, they kept going until their last breath. They were mocked, stoned, beaten, boiled alive, tortured, clung, skinned, and, and Peter even crucified. Even then, their story didn't change. They preached the truth of who Jesus was and is to come. The same message we proclaim today. They brought their message in an incredibly hostile world that was intent on quieting this message of Jesus. But that didn't stop them, and it shouldn't stop us. They never backed down because the truth had to be shared. Even though they were, again, even though they went through the darkest of times, they kept this message to the last breath. Why? Because they watched Jesus perform jaw-dropping miracles, They saw him heal the lame and raise the dead. They heard Jesus speak truth and life amidst darkness and despair. They experienced death. They they experienced his death and resurrection. That's key. And resurrection firsthand, touching the nails in his holes and in his feet. This was not some illusion. Again, not some fairy tale. This wasn't a story someone else made up. Now, if this was the account of just one man, again, we could, we could begin to speculate and, and doubt Peter's credibility. But again, this is multiple people's accounts, not just Peter's. God's people had been waiting for this Jesus. Since since Adam and Eve, diso- since Adam and Eve decided to live life independently of God, what did God do? He gave them promise of who? Exactly, the Messiah, Savior, So, this Jesus was someone they were waiting for for a very long time. And nothing could stop them from sharing this good news that would change the trajectory of mankind. Taking a look at what we just read in verses 16 through 18, we see that Peter chose one specific event to share with us. He could have talked about so many different things him walking on water, seeing people raised from the dead, lepers being cleansed completely. There are so many things that Peter could have mentioned, but what did he mention? The transfiguration of Jesus. Jesus went and led him, James, and John up to a high mountain where they beheld Jesus in his full glory. And that's in Matthew. And so we're going to read it. Matthew 17, 1 through 8. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain. And there Jesus was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them, Moses and Elijah, talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the, from the cloud said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their face, Faces terrified, but Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus. Again, Peter could have picked many different things to defend the credibility, the, the authority of who of Jesus and who um, God sent to save us. But he chose this specifically. Why do you think? And it's because If you make notice in in, um, verses 16, he says, eyewitness of what, the coming. So when Peter, James, and John, whenever they went up to the the mount and saw uh, Jesus transfigured, it was his full glory of not just who he was, but also who he's going to be. That hope that not only that Jesus, because they were waiting for the Messiah to come, right? And he came, was performing all these miracles, but they also were waiting for that one day that he will return again, right? And so Jesus was transfigured and was before them in his fullest glory. They, they almost got a preview. They got a snapshot of what's to come, what, what we are waiting for. And Peter wants more than anything to share this hope that he experienced, that he witnessed with his eyes before he dies, because the second coming is at the heart of our faith. We should live and long for that day. Verses 18 and 19 continues, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Essentially, when God said, said these things about Jesus, he was exalting and confirming who he was because there was still doubt, right? People doubted that Jesus was truly the Messiah, but God was like, please, guys, look. Listen, this is who you've been waiting for. Peter calls the word of Christ coming a prophetic word here because the glorious return of the Messiah is predicted in the Old Testament prophets. So as I was doing some research, I don't know if you guys knew this, you may. There's 332 distinct Old Testament predictions regarding the Messiah, that Jesus fulfilled perfectly. There was a professor that calculated the probability of any one man fulfilling eight of these prophecies, and I don't know if it's up there yet or not. One in 10 to the 17th power. That's just eight of those prophecies. And if you continue, the the probability of any one man fulfilling 48 of those it's 10 to the 157th power. <laughs> I didn't include that one. But you can imagine, it's, it's mind-boggling. Boggling, yeah. So you will do well to pay, pay attention to this as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Like I said before, we must stop. Because not only do we have the eyewitness account, the the credibility of multiple people seeing who Jesus was and who he was going to be, but we have the prophetic word that more fully confirms more than an eyewitness account. Because hundreds and thousands of years prior to Jesus, we had prophets. Prophesying the hope, the joy, of who Jesus was going to be. And he fulfilled those perfectly. And I love this, this analogy that Peter um, gives us an example of, of a, a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And Piper has a really cool quote, and, it's, and it pertains to this. It's nighttime. The world is covered with darkness, of sin, in deceit, fear, and greed. Everyone who inhabits this age of darkness is in danger of stumbling over some unexpected temptation or falsehood. Our only hope is to survive the night. Their only hope to survive the night is to have a lamp going before us. And Peter says that the prophetic word, the promise of Christ's coming, is that lamp. And he pleads with us, keep your eyes on it. Don't fall asleep. Don't turn away after some bewitching song in the night. The hope of the coming of Jesus Christ is the lamp to our feet and a light to our path in a very dark world. Continuing in verse 20, knowing this, knowing that these accounts and these eyewitnesses and now prophecies were more fully um, fulfilled, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, you can't tell from any English translation, but in the Greek, verses 19 and 20 are actually continuous. But in our translations, they stop by the period. Um, And I want to make sure that we get this because it's key. So in verse 19, it says, paying attention, like, right, so this lamp that's shining bright in in this dark world, paying attention to the prophetic word, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. What Peter's talking about is this. No individual interprets prophecy according to his own personal whim or impulse. You can't just give scripture any old meaning, you please. There, there is a true meaning within each context, and that meaning comes from God, the, the true author. And this is our standard for approaching Scripture and interpreting it. And what's really fun is, if you actually look at the the Greek word, um, it's in, in verse 20 where it says, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along. Some translations say moved along. The Greek word is called ferro. And what that is, it's a nautical term. For whenever sailors would be at sea, they would cast their sails and what would drive their sails? The wind. And I don't think there's any mistake whenever Peter was writing this that he inserted this, this Greek word that references this nautical term of the, the sails that are, that are casted and pushed forth by the wind. So in other words, these authors would cast their sails or get their pins ready and then they were led by the Spirit as they wrote down the truth as God led them. The Second uh, Peter one, uh, verse twenty, and also Second uh, Timothy three sixteen through seventeen is one of the is the main scriptures we um, handle this this topic with. And I'm guessing it's up there. Ooh, hello. All scripture is God. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof. For correction and for training in righteousness, and that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So this same breath that we see in the beginning, sorry, this same breath that we see in Second Timothy and 2 Peter, we also see in the beginning. So if you if you recall, how, if you recall how God made Adam in Genesis two, it says this. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. God breathed truth into these men to write down so that we would have a guide, not of human origin, but of divine inspiration. Through these personal accounts and experiential experiences, through our faith more fully confirmed, through our prophecies fulfilled, we know who God is, and we can be sure of the faith, of our faith in this true King. We believe not through blind faith, but through the truth, and overwhelming evidence. The implications of this reality gives us the confidence and boldness. I'm just gonna say Gives us the confidence and boldness to know who God is and who we are. And and second, and second Peter. At One verses 12 through 15, he says, therefore I, I intend to always remind you of these qualities or remind you of these things. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it is right as long as I am, this, am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be, will be soon as the Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that at my, after my departure you may be able to re- at any time to recall these things. It is good and necessary to be reminded of Jesus' divine power at work in our lives. When this was written, Peter was going to die soon. He dedicated his words to something of the utmost importance. There was urgency to repeat and remind his audience of who Jesus really was and the faith we share with him. He's reminding us of our goal, now, if you look at back at the qualities listed in five through seven, the last quality, what we're striving to enter, because of this knowledge of God, because of believing in it, what, what is our end result? <laughs> thank you, thank you. Because of this, because of this knowledge and belief, we have, we've been empowered to live out these qualities. And what's the last one? Love. It's the greatest outcome and expression of our faith and he's reminding us of this. This is only possible because God has given us the power of his spirit through belief in him. If you look at verse nine in 2 Peter, it doesn't say if if these things, these qualities are not in you that you haven't tried hard enough. What does it say? Verse nine. It says you've forgotten. You've forgotten who you are. You've forgotten who Jesus is and the power at work in your lives. And so in Philippians 3.1, Paul, Paul has the same mindset that Peter has. It says that, it is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and is a safeguard for you. Now, I don't know how you guys feel about reminders. I have a love-hate relationship with reminders. Just ask my mom, who grew up with me, trying to instill so many different things in me. Reminders are necessary. You ask my fiance, she, they will attest to that. Um, so it is good that Peter keeps reminding us of these of these basic truths. Um, when I was when I was growing up, I loved the the thought of uh, a sticky note, and the reason why I say that is whenever I accepted Jesus into my heart, um, there was times whenever that gift that He gave me of eternal life of relationship with Him, I just stuck in my back pocket. It wasn't something that I truly enjoyed. Remember how Davey last week talked about this present, that sometimes we can just put up on a pedestal or put in our back pocket and just never, never enjoy. Because what did God come to do? He came came to give life to the full and for us to live in abundance in him. And I love the analogy of the sticky note because I realized what, what our gift of salvation really needs to be. To be a note that we place right on our forehead, because what is that going to remind you? I'm I'm put in the back pocket. Every now and then. No, I I in this myself with. It needs to be a sticky note. It needs to be something that we remember who God is and the truths um, that He has declared to us because we can't. Peter has been restored by Jesus and cared deeply about accomplishing the mission that Jesus had given him to shepherd the sheep. Peter desired that his people would, would fully experience God and grow in their relationship with Him. He wants us to remember, He wants us to be strong and he wants us to know bold in our faith. Because because this is not a timid faith. It isn't shy, bashful, or weak. It is bold, sure, and true. Not because it's any works of our own, but on the overwhelming evidence of God, the firm foundation, our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. And believe wholeheartedly. You're good. <laughs> the gravity implications of this reality is life or death. What have you done with the news of Jesus? My grandfather, whenever he would, is it dangling? Yeah, it's dangling. Nice. I like that. He always recalled to me whenever he would go and preach, he recalled a certain circumstance. I don't remember specifically but the person that was presenting the gospel said there is three responses to this news we have heard of who Jesus is you can either say yes and place your heart and your confidence in who he is you, or you can say no and say no i don't believe in this this isn't this isn't truth and you can walk out but there's a third option And that's to say maybe. But because of the X factor of death, that's just as good as saying no. C.S. Lewis has said this. Christianity, if false, is of no importance. But if it's true, it's of the infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. So are you bold in your faith? Do you believe God's precious and very great promises? Because it's true. There's no mistaking it. If so, your life should reflect the reality of this promise. Genuine faith isn't rooted in effort or performance. It's rooted in knowing and believing more fully who Jesus is and who he said you are. Peter's desire is that we will know and believe who Christ is, continually growing and pressing on towards this experiential knowledge and unwavering belief in him. And through this, to experience God's divine power and the joy of our faith in relationship with him. Let's pray. Jesus, who you are is overwhelming. And um, thank you for just your faithfulness despite our doubt and unbelief. Um, but you say it's so good to come before you with how we're truly feeling. And so if anyone is in here feeling that doubt or unbelief, help them to run to you with that. And I ask that through the, what we've talked about today, through the eyewitness accounts, through the prophecies fulfilled, through the life that Peter has proclaimed, let that just sink so deeply into their minds. Help us to just remind ourselves of this truth, of this joy daily. We love you so much. In your name I pray, amen.